heaven and king, the comfort of the spirit of truth, for our table are present and fill us all things, treasure blessings and give of life. Come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls a good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. Does anyone <coughs> need a uh, syllabus uh, and the sheet from last week? If you could, that's the syllabus and this is the sheet from last week. Um, this class last week was the first class was recorded, so uh, it is available over podcast. I believe Google and Apple have them now. I think I also s- submit it to Spotify. Everything has its own way of time frames, but I know Google and Apple have. It's just St. Anne's Catechumen classes. I'll try to get uh, the direct link. I believe the link in this past email is everybody signed up for the Substack here at St. Anne's. Yes, and I email, and I added it. It is the newsletter. It is the weekly newsletter and also like updates and stuff. If you go to the homepage of St. Anne's at the bottom, you will see a place where you can subscribe. You just put your email in. That's it. Uh, you need to do that so that you can get emails so you know what's going on. Uh, that's also where I hope to uh, get your information, this last email. You can also go back to the Substack and go back to previous ones. So this most recent one, you should be able to go back and there's a Google form that I have on there that I would like to get. I'm trying to gather everyone's information uh, off there. Uh, You'll notice there's asking a a host of various questions. Please go on there, fill that out. Uh, So I already have some information. It helps with records uh, because when you are baptized or chrismated, we need records anyways, so that in 10 years from now, somebody asks and you have need to say yes i was baptized there you go um so sign up for the Substack. uh fill out that google form uh and if you missed last week uh look up and listen to the podcast which is just the class from last week uh that will explain what that one sheet about the 12 things uh for a rule of life and also we go through the syllabus so is there any questions about any of that kind of administrative, et cetera, stuff? Does everyone have a book? Does anyone need a book? Drew? I let you gave it to me. And then you left it here. That's right. Reader, can you? All right. So I am not teaching every single class, as you saw in the syllabus. But we have many uh, educated capable, uh, wise people here at this parish who can uh, teach. So, (laughs) Lynn Attaway uh, has uh, a lot of experience uh, going to different places in the Orthodox world, churches, etc. If you want to go ahead and stand up. So, I am eminently uh, thankful that you will be able to walk through uh, teaching this first chapter of the, of the book, please do read the book. Uh, that way, if you have questions or answers, because sometimes, like today's class, it's going to presume the book, but it's not like we're going to go through paragraph by paragraph, right? Uh, we're all adults here. Uh, so please read. If you have questions or something comes up, uh, this is a place to ask those kind of questions. Sometimes I'll be here. Sometimes I won't be here. I might duck in and out. Uh, but... Is there anything else that I... 
administratively? Okay. All right. Lynn, thank, thank you. you very much. Take it away. Okay. <laughs> In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I really am looking forward to getting to meet all of you and share some things about orthodoxy with you. And what I'm scheduled to do is to be with you for the first three weeks, and then there'll be a hiatus, and then I'll come back to talk about icons in week eight, which I really love to talk about. Um, and um, let's see, we're going to try to keep us right at 50 minutes, and I'm just thinking about how people learn these days. So. What I'm going to do after a little bit of intro is I'm going to set my timer. I'd, I'd ordered a time timer. If you don't know what it is, and if you have kids with ADHD, you need one. Um, but anyway, I'm signed, we'll, we'll talk for 15 minutes and then have time for questions. And we are going to be moving into the uh, sanctuary, the nave, to talk about things there. So the purpose is to talk a little bit about practical things, background things, what you can do, what you need what what to expect, how you can feel comfortable worshiping here. So it's kind of drawing on material from several chapters in the book. I encourage you to read the book and also from some material that Father Daniel put together. So just enjoy, I wish I could introduce all of you and get to know one of you better. But first, how many of you have been worshiping at an Orthodox church for six months or longer? Or, you know, coming for six months or longer? Hey, don't feel bad. I was, I was a visitor for a year and a half before I became a catechumen. So, so anyway, how many been coming more than six months? Just, okay. How many about three months? How many two weeks? Okay, so we've got some people who, for, the, for whom this is all new. Good. Well, that's why we've designed this, this class a little bit. All right. Now, um, in terms of questions, I really like to have written questions so that I can look through them and kind of see where the group goes. I, I like to teach, I like to answer the questions that people are asking. I really hate to get up, you know, everybody's saying, I knew that already. So if anybody wants some, um, you know, cards to write things down on or some pencils, I'm an occupational therapist. These are the best pencils for little kids. Um, so um, just pass, pass those out, sorry. <laughs> And so if you have a question, write it down, and we will have time for questions. And I just want to say that um, my name is Lynn. I'm the church lady. I'm the grandma. Um, I have a little bit of unusual story arc in that when I was 50, my husband passed away suddenly from cancer. We have four kids. The youngest was 11. The oldest was about 20. So I went through that. And then after, you know, raising the kids and so forth, and then when I was about age six, well, when I was 60, I thought, you know, I really don't want to sit around and hope that the life insurance lasts for the rest of my life. And I always wanted to be an occupational therapist. So I went, moved to Johnson City and went back to school and studied occupational therapy. And uh, my other jobs had been like in city planning and I did some college teaching and so forth. So a lot of different areas. So hopefully I have a lot in common with you all. But at any rate, that's on my story, and I still am an occupational therapist, even though I'm a really old lady. Okay, so um, so let's just get started, and I'm glad you're here, and what, what we're talking about is, who are we talking about? We're talking about a connection with the living God. We're talking about something that's more than just the ordinary material things that you see every day, and our society is getting more and more aimed at just thinking, oh, this is all that there is, and that there's nothing else. 
but we know that there's a supernatural being that we can get to know. And the other wonderful thing about it is that by participating in these activities at the church with our own private devotions, we can undergo transformation. I mean, I don't know how many of you have had other faith experiences, but it's not just about a ticket to get into heaven. I mean, we're all growing. Now we'll continue to grow when we are with the Lord in heaven. But so it's about being with the God of the universe and, you know, with his son, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, but also finding ways as we participate in the life to, to undergo transformation. So I think that's a really, really exciting thing. So that's the who. And then the other points that I want to cover and I thought, oh, did I start my timer? I didn't. You also have built in timer on us. Oh, okay. Okay, fine. Thank you. Well, it doesn't have a little beeping thing for me. <laughs> I need the beep. <laughs> okay. We want it to beep. <laughs> oh, so 15 minutes from now. All right. Okay. All right. So I want to talk about where we do what we do. So that will be, and, and like, what is this building? What is this worship space? But I wanted I want to do that a little bit later. I want to just sit here and kind of talk about some basic things. So we're going to talk about where when we go into the sanctuary. We're going to talk about what to do before you come to church, what we are going to what we do in church, and with what, and maybe even get into a little bit of ministry. Um, so um, before we come to church, it's one thing to do before church is to come to the hours that are read before liturgy, about 20 minutes before, before Vespers. We have two different kinds of services. I guess you know that. We have the Divine Liturgy, where we participate in the Holy Eucharist, the communion, the transformation of the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ that feeds us. And then we also have other prayer services of different types and different lengths and so forth and so on. So <clears throat> I'm just really going to be concentrating today on the liturgy, and we can get into some of the other services other times. Um, when I was worshiping in other traditions, you just hope you can get all the, the kids' shoes on and get to church, you know. Oh, I'm here. <laughs> but um, here there is a tradition that we prepare ourselves before we come to the worship service. And there are prayers that are written, beautiful prayers, that are written um, that we can pray of various lengths, either the night before or the morning of our services. And um, let me just segue a little bit here. I see some of you, I've seen some of you here with children. Um, your own personal, my own personal prayer is totally a different animal from family prayer. All right, there's a whole lot I cannot never could control or felt like it really worked as a family. But I can control my own personal prayer time. So, you know, I just want to encourage you. I hope I'm not discouraging you <laughs> about prayer time. But I think, you know, and um, there are just seasons in our life. I mean, my prayer life was really much richer after my kids all started to go to school or, you know, they were off to college. I mean, it's, there was just more discretionary time for that. So there are prayers, um, and there are a lot of suggestions of how to pray and what to pray. At, 
I'm just going to be bold, and I would say that perhaps at the very minimum, you could look up and see what the scripture readings are going to be for that worship service. You can go to the OCA website, type in scripture readings, and there you'll come up with the scriptures for the day. I find it helps to know what those are before we come to the readings. So I just want you to know that there are prayers that can be said, and it's recommended. Okay, so now, what do you... What do you wear to church? Church attire should be modest and respectful. Um, there are specific things like we will see people wearing, um, and the Sunday morning service is a little bit dressier than the other weekday services. I mean, I'll come in my gardening clothes on a Wednesday night, but I won't do that on a Sunday morning. Um, but clothes should, you know, you're, you're in the, presence of the king you see and so we want to show our respect in that way so it's best to have clothes that are clean now we see people with you know jeans frayed jeans or whatever but um one one particular is that it's recommended that we don't in in our in our nave we don't wear sh shirts with printing on them just because it's distracting those of us who are visual learners were, you know, always <laughs> focusing on what that. So that's one thing. As I say clothes should be modest. Um, uh, what does St. Paul say? That we provide greater honor to those things which are dishonorable. So I'm just saying modest clothing. Um, cover up. Cover up. Yeah, okay. And not, <laughs> and not too tight. Although, you know, if you gain 10 pounds after you have a concussion, maybe your clothes are going to be too tight. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, in other words, and especially I noticed, I mean, a little girl wearing a sundress, you know, is, I don't think anybody would mind that. Little boys wearing shorts, there's, a, there's mercy for that. Um, but typically long pants, uh, a little sweater or a shawl. And quite frankly, especially you'll see the, the young teens decide they want to sort of show off. So, but you know, I try not to be the the grandma, you know, the yaya who comes and fusses at people, but just to know that there is a certain expectation for respectful dress. You might think, what would I wear to a job interview? You know, depending on what, what field you're in. So there's that element of preparing to come to church. Um, we, before the divine liturgy, we fast. Um, and uh, that would mean fasting from food and drink from midnight until we've, we've celebrated the divine liturgy of the Father. You have it in your paperwork here, but there's also a fast for sexual relations. Yes, there is, before reception of Holy Communion, there is fasting from sexual relations. Uh, if you look in the Old Testament, I'll just give, this isn't just some random rule. This is something based out of, if you go back and look, Moses going up on the mountain, uh, all of the children of Israel were told, no relations. Uh, this is basically because the preparation starts with great vespers on the night before Sunday morning. So participation if you in vespers if you're able to come. If not, you know evening prayers. Then as she's saying, pre-communion prayers, uh, but also abstaining from relations. In general, the church has this during fast seasons. There is this, is, but this is something that, as Saint Paul, the basic guideline is what Saint Paul says: if you're going to abstain, it needs to be done in both degree, because this should only be happening in marriage, uh, and that it is replaced with prayer and fasting. 
right? So all of this is basically to maintain uh, the ascent uh, towards the heavens that begins the evening in preparation for the reception of Holy Communion the morning of. If any of you have any specific questions about all of that, you're welcome to ask me. But I don't want to go into detail right now about that. <laughs> there you go. Okay. All right. Thank you very yeah, much. I'm glad you were here because yeah. I was. Here. <laughs> as long as I, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. Now another thing for all of us is that when we, um, it's it's requested that we avoid wearing lipstick to church for the women and avoid using lip balm or something like that two reasons. One is that the, these chemicals on our lips can severely degrade the icons. I mean, there are some very, very beautiful icons up in Lexington that had to be totally repaired because of the damage done by lipstick. In addition to that, when we receive communion, we place, you know, we, we close our lips around the spoon, which means that any lipstick or any chemical that's on your lips is going to be remaining on the spoon. It means it goes back into the consecrated bread and wine. Father has to consume all the rest yes, of that. I he doesn't. He doesn't want to. If the deacons hear the deacon, does it. We would both prefer not to uh, consume a lot of lipstick. Okay, so I mean, it's not from any kind of tradition of other types that you might have heard. It's basically so that we can protect the holy things. Okay. Um, all right. Um, so what I'm going to, any um, prayer clothing, uh, just anyway, pre preparing ourselves. All right. A lot of times what I want to cover today is making a sign of the cross, um, doing the bowing or the metania. Is it metania? I mean, most metania. Okay. All right. Metania. Um, so, so let me go, go over that. Stop. When we make the sign of the cross, which we do quite often, um, it's very, it's, I love orthodoxy. Everything is symbolic. We hold, we hold our right hand with the thumb and two fingers together, symbolizing the Holy Trinity. And then the uh, fourth and fifth fingers together, pointing down to symbolize the two natures of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. And uh, I don't know if you've met Mark. Mark is a cradle orthodox. He's our main choir director. And he's so good with all of his things. His fingers point up, reminding us of we're of, of heaven. The fingers point down, reminding us that we're no longer needing to go to hell. Okay? <laughs> up and down. So everybody try that. Okay. Occupational therapist in me. Everybody do it. Okay. <laughs> so you may have come from another tradition that had a different, you know, different thing like that. I wish I could tell you the story. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> in in uh, in anatomy class, the the professor was saying that that you know this is a sign used in the Roman Church, you know, and she's saying that this is it, and it can this kind of thing can be caused because it's a deformity, it's some something wrong with the with the tendons in your fingers, and she's saying that this is called the papal sign, you know, and that's why that's why the papal sign. There was one one. Pope who had that kind of, you know, neurological thing going on, and I just, I'm 61 years old, I just go to her and I say, sorry, <laughs> you know, your Protestant understanding of this is way off, and there's a real meaning behind all this. Now, Jesus, the other blessing of the priest is here for us, all right, ready, let's make the sign of the cross. There we go, okay, and now, to actually make the sign of the cross, 
we touch our head, our abdomen, our right shoulder, and left shoulder. Okay, one, two, three, try that. Head, abdomen, right shoulder, left shoulder. Okay, so we are totally covering our body with the symbol of Christ. We are invoking the presence of Christ when we do this, asking for the blessing and so forth and so on. Let me try that. Head, abdomen, right shoulder, left shoulder. Okay, so Snarky is my middle name, and there are some other traditions that perform this crossing oneself in a different fashion. And don't ask me why, because everybody used to do it this way, and some people decided to do it differently. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. Can I say something about just the form of yes, it? Yes, yes, please. So you'll see over time, there's there's like two tendencies of this. One is just to kind of like, I call this uh, swatting flies, where you're like not even thinking, you're just kind of like, wee. The other, which the whole point is that you're actually calling to mind our Lord as you're doing it, right? So it needs to be thoughtful. The other extreme is that you're very verbose, uh, verbose right. Enough, right? but like you're almost like ostentatious and yeah. theatrical, right? Like, <laughs> no, just do it like a normal thing, okay? <laughs> just a word to the wise. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, so when would you cross yourself? An ambulance is going down the street. I want to pray. I want to invoke for Jesus Christ. Pray over our meals. I just got some good news. Ah, good. And that might be swatting flies. I mean, you know, or, you know, you're talking with somebody and they give you some wonderful news. Oh, thank the Lord. You know, or, you know, somebody gives you, oh, dear, you know, something horrible happened. Oh, my goodness. May the Lord be with you. I mean, it's something we can do all the time. It's the power of the cross there with us. Something that we can do that's tangible. And so, so, um, so that's it. Make the, make the sign of the cross whenever you think about the Lord. Okay? Now, there are different ways, different ways that our body participates in this too. And, and this, I mean, we are souls with bodies. You know, our bodies are important. So um, when we come up, we will get to, the, to questions about the icon stands and venerating the icons and so forth. Um, but, you know, there's, there's several, there's, this kind of a of a matania where you cross yourself in front of a uh, to venerate an icon and then bow slightly. Okay, we just lean forward just a little bit, bow slightly. Okay, then another one that some people might do is to cross yourself and then bend from the waist all the way down. Let your hand brush the floor and then come back up. Some people like to do that. All right, so everybody just reach down and sound, reach down and actually let your hand touch the floor as much as you can. Okay. All right. Everybody got that? Most everybody can do the first one. It's fine. I just happen to have kind of... Anyway, it's easy for me to bend over. Got that? The third one is a prostration, and that's done at some time. You can, you can make a prostration at any time in your private worship. In church, uh, there are certain times that we would do that, and we will get into that for instance, we're coming up to the um, Feast of the Holy Cross. And when the cross is in the church, we would prost make prostrations you know, um, before the Holy Cross. Uh, we'll get into that 
what happens more in Lent. And there are times when we do, times when we don't. We will get into that later. So a prostration is, it looks like this. Okay, so you would make the sign of the cross and go all the way down. And your knees, your hands, touch your forehead to the floor and come back up. All right? Down like that. So, as an occupation therapist, I consulted with our other therapists here about a good way to do it. Some people, you do what, this is one area where you do you, okay? You can go down on one knee, down on the other knee, and down, and then, you know, one knee and the other. There's nothing spiritual or, or whatever, whatever works for you. Yes. Oh, okay, fine, thank you. Oh, goodness. Thank you very much. Um, anyway. Um, one thing to remember is what I find important is that you need to protect your knees during this whole thing. So when you are down, you know, on your down like this, I think it's really important to think about using your hands to push your body back over your toes, over your feet, so that your knees are not in front of your toes before you stand up. Okay, we won't try that. Okay, so 15 minutes. <laughs> What I figure is that most YouTube videos are about 15 minutes long, and that's about the attention span of anybody anymore. <laughs> so, what if you have any questions written down, we can have five minutes for questions that have come up so far, and we're going to get up and we're going to go into the worship area. Any questions? Yes? Yes. Yes, as long as, <laughs> as long as he's referencing him. Well, so, uh, for a priest, when they are doing a blessing, right, they put their hand like this. Does anyone know what this means? It's not just like Star Trek -y stuff. This is the name of Jesus Christ. So you get I C X C. So that's why the hand is like this, right? So you're blessing the name of Jesus. As a lay person, when you are blessing your food, you don't bless it as a priest, but you bless it in the same way that you're making the sign of the cross. And you're, so you would bless your food in the same way that I would bless something like this. You would just, with the same hand, you would just bless the food. So, like, God bless the food, because your servants who are holy now and always in faith to make this. I mean, you'll see people do this with their before they drink their water, you know, all sorts of things. So, if, if, I, could, if I could add yeah. this also. Uh, it, it's also common if, if you're a parent to bless your children in the, in the same way, like uh, clear back to the first night that my daughters were at our home, and I still do it now. I go to check on them before they go to sleep, and I always trace a little cross on their forehead. It, it's it's just a good practice for have your children. I mean, if you're you're you know you're, if you're parents, you you, you certainly are, are are able to bless your children, and, and you should. When they're going to school for the first time, give them a blessing. Why would you let them, ever let them go to school without a blessing? Um, if you let them go at all. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but certainly send God with them, all right? Um, it, it, going to take your driver's test, going out with a car for the first time, bless them. Okay, so yeah, just, just my two cents worth. Okay, yes. Probably the book, but it's been a couple months since I've read this first chapter, but what's the significance of grazing the ground? 
cross, like when you do decide to go cross, if you grace the I don't have an answer for that question. <laughs> do you have an answer? There's not a, you want me to give you a spiritual meaning? <laughs> <laughs> it's basically, there's the kind of different levels, right? There's just kind of the, and then there's a little bit more like during the Chisagyan, during the liturgy, it's pretty, it's typical to do a deeper bow during that. But if it's just like the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you just kind of, you know, do it like that, then, so it's kind of like different solemnities to use more of a, like, right? There's something that's a little bit more regular that you're just kind of making the sign of the cross, but then there's the one that uh, a deeper reverence, and then there's the full prostration. So we'll do a full prostration here with the, as Lynn was saying, with the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, we'll be doing prostrations. There's etiquette to those things too, which I'll probably talk about before we do the veneration, because you can imagine if people are doing prostrations, the time frame of things starts going, <laughs> so there's some things that the church kind of traditionally does where like a group of people will do it at the same time and then people kiss it and then, do, and then move over to the side. So we can talk about etiquette stuff like that. Okay. Great. Thank you. No, okay. All right. We're ready to get up and straighten our underwear and go on. <laughs> Let's go on into the sanctuary. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yep. Chairs, if we need extra chairs, we can grab them from here. Grab some chairs or sit on the floor or whatever. Okay, so we don't have a whole lot more time. Um, Can everybody hear? All right. So I'm just curious how many of you here because you listed jobs, you listed jobs and catch up. Okay. I've taken icon carving lessons with Jonathan, by the way. And that is a did you know that that carving up there is a is a catch up? Yes, same man. Okay. Yes, yeah, there's really only two icon carvers in, in North America. Okay, so uh, so so much noise. I wanted to talk to you about the structure of the church and that relates to hierarchy, okay? Basically, in a church, there are three main parts, a narthex, the nave, and the altar area. Now, start with the narthex over there. It's not as obvious as when we had walls there, but anytime you enter into the church building, hopefully it is... Now, it's just a transitional area. When you go to the movies, do you go straight from the outside into the dark theater? No, you go into the lobby. When you go into uh, Home Depot, do they have shelves right there at the front door? No, there's a little space for you to come inside. 
and get reorganized in your home? Is there just even in a very, very simple small home, isn't there just a little space right by the front door where you can just make that transition between the outer and what's inside? So the narthex is that place. That's where we take care of things like candles, um, prayer requests, and so forth. In our church here, it's very untraditional, but we have to make more room for you all. So we kind of designate our narthex with that table, it's a fancy table, okay? It shows that it's a little special in this other cabinet right here with the carved icon on it and the icon stands. So that's the first area, and that's an area typically where the catechumens would stay except when we came for their blessing. The second area is this, the sanctuary. It's also called the nave, and that's the word for ship. And you would be, you would be amazed when we painted that green border of paint here in, in the sanctuary. You can't see so much because of the pews now, but it was like I felt so much more protected and secure. It's like before I'd been on some sort of a pontoon boat with just no sides, you know, just, and all of a sudden, visually, we had sides and some sort of protection. So you think about the nave and think about the, the the picture of being in a boat. You know, we're moving, it's, it can be nice, it can be, it can be not nice, you know, it can be calm, it can be unsafe, never know what's going to come. But this is the nave, and this is where we, as the worshipers, would say. Now, I can, I can show you pictures from Israel, the model of the Old Testament temple that was built in, in Jerusalem at Jesus' time. I'll do that in one of the other lessons. But this whole setup is modeled on the worship space that God gave the children of Israel. The outer court, the court of the believers, and then the inner inner sanctuary where only the priests went. So we didn't just make this up. This has biblical precedence, okay? And then the third basic area is the altar, which is behind that big tall wall over there. Interestingly enough, the altar area of an Orthodox church should be raised. Ours is just raised a little bit. There are others, you know. It's just a way for my Kajobi to show hierarchy. Okay, the things that are higher are more important. We give our respect and attention to the things that are higher. Okay, so what about that thing over there? And why does it hide what's going on behind the altar? I mean, we're people show me i want to be with it i mean i've i've been at another church where you know baptists would bring their sunday school and the people would just kind of wander in and out and they feel well it's just because some things are sacred and need to be protected and given respect so the altar area is reserved for those who have been blessed to be in there the priests the the deacons the servers and so forth and so on and so we, as believers, we do not go there to the altar. And we'll talk about this, this no, I'll talk about that later. So the, the icon screen, or the iconostasis, uh, I also have pictures of what it looked like in the early, in Jesus' time, in a Jewish synagogue. And there was a low rail separating the congregational area from the priest from the uh, rabbi here. 
there always has been a sense that there is something holy and special to be preserved and shown respect. And so in, in the early times of Jesus, in the synagogues, in the villages, not in the central thing, there was a rail. And you know, right next to that in the museum was another set up from an early Christian church with a low rail, just the same. So our tradition is based on the worship God gave to the Okay, as time went on, they started placing icons on that rail, and then they wanted to have more icons and more icons, so it became more of a solid structure. Now, things are so that's the reason why, is because there always has been something to set, to indicate the separation and the specialness of that area, and it just depends on how many icons you put on there. Now, um, so are there any questions about the basic structure, the three-partite structure of a church, okay, just like the, the Holy Trinity, the, the narthex, the nave, and the altar? So, Yes. And uh, it, this is where you wanted to go. Please just, just smack me and I'll stop. But, um, the, 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 other, the other thing to think about when you look at the iconostasis is, as Lynn was saying, like, you know, there, there, there are icons that adorn it. Uh, it, it so so it, it doesn't just separate one side from the other. What it also does is, is it represents the point where heaven and earth come together. Like during our divine liturgy, we, we are in heaven. Like my first time I went to an Orthodox church, uh, actually Frederica Matthews wrote about this in, in, her, in, her, in her book, uh, Facing East. But I went to her parish, my first Orthodox church I ever went to, and it was like, like in, in an adult daycare, borrowed space, and makeshift altar, and sort of an iconostasis, they had like icons and easels. And I came back, and I went over to my girlfriend's apartment, she's my wife now, and, and she saw the look on my face, and she's like, where have you been? I said, I think I've been to heaven, because I've never experienced anything like that. But that's that's our worship. Heaven and earth are conjoined. We're in heaven. Now, we are actually at the throne of God. We are at the, at the table with the apostles at that last supper. It's all happening now. And, and, and that iconostasis makes that, makes that clear to us. Thank you. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Appreciate you. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, I want to go over now to what we do when we're in church and venerating of the icons and so forth. Now, I haven't really talked about the icons much. We'll get into that. I'm glad. Sounds like everybody is here. We're on board with icons are okay. I've got some members of my family that I have to tread on, the, you know, very carefully. Um, but the icons are the saints, we're with them, they're with us, okay? Um, and when we, so two things I want, I want to talk about three things now, about venerating the icons, the way we would do that, I want to talk about our movement around the church, and I want to talk about expected behavior in the church, and we've got a flock of Come up and you will kiss the icon, just kiss the icon, and you're 
with a certain saint who's here. And so you want to venerate the icons and then make another veneration to those saints. Does that make sense? All right, so the, the flow is counterclockwise looking from above. We have an icon that should just come in the door of our patroness, Saint Anne. And probably start over here. This one, or not, <laughs> but <laughs> these two are the other primary ones to venerate, okay? Our Lord and the Theotokos. <laughs> so you would venerate this one now and then that one. So, as I'm saying, you see we have this counterclockwise direction, which just helps with, with the flow of things. One other thing to mention is whenever we cross the middle of the church, we face the altar and make the sign of the cross just once. It's to acknowledge the altar, the place where, where the Lord is. And there's the host, there's the reserved host that's there as well. Does that make sense? So now let's say I've just had communion over here from whoever has the cup over here. I'm going back over there to the choir. And so when I cross over, I would turn to the, to the altar and make, um, you know, crush it. The uh, icon stand over there is for those who've fallen asleep. Um, so that, that's, that's where you would pray for those who've fallen asleep. I have, Are you able to hear, Lynn? Okay, I have a, um, you know, I have my um, list of family members and people that I typically pray for. So I pray for them, the living, when I'm at one of the icon stands, and I pray for the departed who are over there. Uh, I don't think, you know, I think there's usually time um, to do that. So that's the that's the way you do. You would do the same thing as you're leaving the church to say goodbye. I mean, you know, when you've been at somebody's house. You come in and say hello, and then before you leave, you don't just walk out. You also say goodbye. Um, so either I want us to, um, to, to still continue and talk about the behavior in church. Are there any questions about this veneration? You never kiss on the face, but I see sometimes... Um, 
Yeah. I'm sorry. Sometimes I see people kiss twice. Is that and an icon of Pantocos? Jesus, do you? Do you is there something like that? No, I mean, if there's an icon with several, several people, okay. yes, you okay. greet each one. Okay. okay. All right. Yes. Um, if I understood it correctly, Frederick in her book um, mentioned potentially asking one of the saints that you're venerating to pray for someone or, or pray on something that is uh, in your heart. Is yes. That, did I understand that correctly? And what, yes. What's appropriate there? How, how, how does that Okay. Well, I have been to church sometime where somebody would be standing in front of that stand pouring out their heart for five minutes. Okay, I think that's extensive during a, a worship service. That's more appropriate during a time after service or something. Yes, it's totally, it, it, you know, I don't mean to hard and fast rule. Thank you for your question. And it's obvious that you have a heart for intercession. You know, so that's good to hear. And yes, that's totally appropriate. So um, I just want to say that now I want us to switch over to the last part of my talk, and that's about behavior in church. Um, typically, we stand. Typically, people in Orthodox churches have been standing. Basically, when you're living in the Holy Land, you haven't got any wood to make a chair. Okay, so chairs were reserved for kings or something like that, or bishops. So people would stand. Um, nowadays, you see. Um, pews in some American Orthodox churches, but even up until the 1500s, churches all over, there were no pews. So we stand. However, if there's just this fluidity and gentleness about Orthodoxy. Heard one monk say to a woman, he said, it's better to sit and think about God than it is to stand and think about how your feet hurt. <laughs> okay. So there are certain times when it's, and I mean, people like me with low blood pressure, you know, sometimes I just have to sit. There are certain times where we stand out of honor at the reading of the gospel, at the saying of the Lord's Prayer. Okay. What are the other times? Basically, if those doors are open, you shouldn't be standing or out of attention. It's also if you're coming in, if you were coming in late, or except if those doors are open, it's not time to venerate stuff. There is a little bit, as you've kind of been talking about, there's a, a little bit of fluidity in orthodoxy because if we had, if, say, this whole space was church, but it is, but you know what I mean, there might be shrines along the side. It might be that in the middle of a vesper service, you come in a little bit late, the service has already started, but somebody might be praying before an icon while the service is going on. That is not abnormal for there to be kind of multiple things happening. I would say that divine liturgy, though, the focus is what is happening in the altar. So if somebody in the middle of the service was just standing in front of the eye, you know, there might be somebody say, hey, join, rejoin the people. Uh, just a call about what's going on exactly. So there's a little bit of fluidity, but there's also certain times where there's actions happening or a certain, uh, again, I'll use the word solemnity, there's certain holiness or a reality of what's going on that requires your attention, that everybody who's present should be attentive to that thing. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for the clarification. Um, so when we sit in church, we are to be ready. We are still, even though we're sitting, we're still in the presence of the king, and so we're to be ready. And so it's inappropriate to cross your ankles or to cross one leg over the other. 
Does that make sense? Both feet on the floor, ready. <laughs> okay, and there's I've heard of some people in in old world churches where the 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 yaya comes up, you know, uncross your feet. <laughs> so just so that you know, and there are a lot of people who who have heard that and forgotten. So maybe you heard it. Um, and then the other thing is, what do we do with this area? Again, a transitional area between the lower floor here and the, the raised area. We are free to go up. Okay, the area right in front of the royal doors is reserved for the priests and the deacons. So even when, when I would be lighting the, those lamps and going along there lighting the lamps, getting to the one in front of Jesus, I do not cross over on that raised area. I leave that area, come down here, and then go back to light the lamp in front of the Theotokos. Uh, however, we as worshipers are welcome to go up there to venerate any of the saints. I feel you know, a certain connection with some of them there, so I go and I pray in front of them. We are also uh, able to uh, put candles on there. Candles. Um, they, we light candles as a way of praying, as a way of showing the light of Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm going to keep you extra. Is that okay? Can I talk about candles? You've got 10 minutes. Oh, I thought we were 15 minutes. Okay, fine. I'll well, go. Okay. Yeah, all right. Candles <laughs> is a big part of our worship. It really is so wonderful to see the children get involved in lighting candles. Our candles symbolize, they are our prayers. You know the, the psalm, let my prayer arise in thy sight as incense. And you'll see, you know, especially the best with the incense going The candles do the same thing. Stand in front of a candle and watch the wall behind the candle. The candle flame does something to the world. Okay, it makes the air change. So our candles are doing something. They're allowing our prayers to go up to heaven. You know, we were at Vespers uh, earlier this week where Father turned out the lights, the only illumination was the candles and the lamps. They will illuminate, so it's a way to share with one another, to, uh, to light up what's going on. It's also a sacrifice for us. I got to take that dollar bill out of my hip pocket, you know, and put it in the collection plate. That's a, that's, that's a sacrifice. That's worship is, some of worship is sacrifice. Now, um, I feel sometimes embarrassed sometimes because I don't have a collection of dollar bills, so I just make a donation to the church every month for my candles. You know, if you want to do that. Um, typically, we ask for a donation. Um, and there are two kinds of candles. The small ones, which we put in the sand. See, I, I used to be a city planner as well, so I said to Father Stephen, you mean you let these candles just sit here in the church when nobody's here? What does the fire marshal say about that? And he said, well, they just burned it. They're in sand. You know, even if they tip over, they're going to just fall into the sand. He says, okay. All right. So those are the small ones. And then we also have larger candles that burn for a week. If you have a, a prayer request that you'd like to go on longer than the life of one taper, you can, you know, light one of those candles and we can sometimes we place them sometimes in front of the icons there on the icons so just be careful when you put it down and stand up you might get, ask me why i know you might hit your head on those lamps that are up there okay for the for people who have fallen asleep or passed away 
our candle to go in this stand over here. So those are all questions. And anybody is welcome to place a candle in any of those places. Just remember that that center area there is for the priests and the deacons. One other thing is how to greet a priest. Yes. Uh, Frankie, when you're asking, coming up, we'll just model it. You put out your hand, you say, Father bless. You put your left, your right hand over your left hand, and you ask, Father bless, and then you receive a blessing, okay? And you kiss the hand, and that's it. Usually this is the first time, this isn't like, I enter the room, you do it, and then I walk away, and then I come back, and you ask for it again, or something like that. This is kind of like, you see me for the first time, you enter into the church, and I'm there, you're going to ask for a blessing. There are often that people also ask before leaving, but they'll ask for a blessing. If you've seen people, if we're talking to, at the end of coffee hour, and somebody comes up and asks for a blessing, then you receive a blessing, and then they go home. Because, as I said, like you're being blessed in the, in the name of Jesus. So it, it's not about me. It's I'm an icon of Christ. So the idea is that you're basically coming to the presence of Christ, asking for his blessing, receiving it, and also when you're leaving. So any any questions for anything of Lynn or just, about the blessing? Just, just to add on that, um, only, only a priest or a bishop can, can bless. So, like, uh, you know, I, I bet people come up to me and bless them or Deacons and readers cannot bless, only priests and bishops. And if the bishop is here, then you go and ask the blessing of the bishop. And so if the priest, father would go to the bishop and ask for his blessing also. Yeah. One more thing is that if you know the song, feel welcome to join in and sing with us. Lord have mercy is pretty easy. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, one more thing still. All right, Lord have mercy. I talked to a group of college kids from Kentucky last year. And, you know, we're talking about Lord of Mercy. It's not, oh, landlord, I can't pay the rent. Don't kick me out. Have mercy on me. It's not like that. Okay? Mercy is, it, the word mercy comes from oil. It's a blessing. It's a balm. It's soothing. It's healing. Okay? It's not because we're afraid of punishment or some awful thing going on. When we say Lord of Mercy, we're asking for the Lord. Blessing healing, soothing, and comforting. Okay, so. so just like, let's say I have a prayer request, and you talk about like a larger one? Yes. Uh, where would I put that candle? Oh, okay. You mean you wanted the, the bigger candle? Yeah. Okay. Um, you see right here? Or you could, if you, like that St. Nicholas, many people feel a real devotion to think appropriate to put it there, this much in the windowsill in front of St. So close to a saint that you feel unoffended. So you can put a candle over there by St. Nicholas and not have a specific request for St. Nicholas. You can just put it someplace. It doesn't have to be directed to a saint to do a candle just to make sure, right? You could just say, God, help me. Yeah. <laughs> God, help this person. But the idea is that we have a whole bunch of friends around us who are also rooting for us that we're asking. Just like in, if I was like, I'm struggling with this. I'm like, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Then I say, St. Herman, will you pray for me? St. Elizabeth, will you pray for me? Well, I just didn't want to put it in a place 
people that fall asleep at some point, something like that. Oh, and if they fall asleep, they typically put them. Sorry for all the things I left out. Um, but, you know, we'll talk more next week. Hopefully I'll be able to fill in some other things. And I'm sure you'll have questions as we go throughout this time where if you have a logistic or, like, how do I do this practical question, just ask the question. Because we're going to have every class, there'll be time for Q&A. And I bet if you have the question, at least two other people in here probably have the question too. So don't be afraid to ask it or feel like this is a stupid question or something. Okay? Let's end with prayer. Lord, now let us all thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.